0: This Kabbalah of yours has not allowed us to conjure up the data plans. The sacred Jewish texts! Mmm, ketamine I must use. Lethal doses I must take.
1: Okay, alright. I am putting the brakes on fun. Mmm, left me my wife has. Would you stop with the Yoda?! Damn it! You've already done the Yoda bin! Mm,
2: anger, the way of the Jedi, is not... Ah! Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Little Wars. I am Mongoose Kikimura, your... I would say trustee, but, you know... Given the sporadic release time. Of course, then again, I never actually uh, told people that we were going to have a definite release time, so I guess I am trusting. Okay, trustworthy okay.
1: quit sense. equivocating. What are you doing? <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, anyway, I am uh, here this morning to talk with my, as ever, with my um, trusty friends and buddies. Uh, um, I'm here with my uh, good co host, uh, Jack Caronet. Yo, buddy, still alive.
0: Yo, yo, yo. I am still, uh,
2: glad to hear it. As always, with my other good buddy and co-host, uh,
1: John. I am here, and uh, I just wanted to give a quick shout-out to the Los Angeles Medieval LARP community. Uh, they've done an incredible, uh, job. Incredibly dedicated to their craft. They've managed to bring about the conditions necessary for the return of the bubonic
0: plague. Wait, what happened? Really? Those are dedicated LARPers.
1: I know that is some devotion to medieval living conditions. Well done, Wait, guys. What, what, ha, did somebody actually catch the bubonic plague? uh they've been catching typhus, uh but they've also found uh that they've got rodent born bubonic plague in the city. Ah Man. but uh you know what the best part is? Uh, I looked it up. Would you guys like to know the name of the Los Angeles medieval Larp community?
0: Give it to us.
1: you're gonna love this. It's called Dying Kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's <laughs> very appropriate. Do you do you think I can get a chicken leg or a turkey leg? Uh, I think leg? you could
1: get you could get a boil under your armpit. <laughs> you could
0: get a turkey
2: leg, and then you get uh, AIDS from the turkey leg, probably, Aww. or something else. Uh, I don't know. There's probably some weird communicable disease that's available in these turkey legs.
1: Well, no, I mean good good news for you and uh, your diet is that the majority of them are airborne or flea borne
2: well that that's reassuring. Um, yeah. I guess that covers what John did with uh, traditional games this week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: he, he, he he was wandering around uh, LA uh, with L- a foam LA. sword. With a with a foam sword like like saying <laughs> Hello my medieval peasant brothers, can you point me to the nearest? <laughs> <end?">
1: <laughs> the hobo tried to attack me and I just I just yelled, Cut, break, break Red, red pedal, red pedal. <laughs>
2: yes, my medieval brothers. Can you uh direct me to the nearest non-potable source of water? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tell geez. me where is
1: the dueling ring? I wish to shank a brother. <laughs> I um,
2: I am highly excited for cholera in the United States. And by highly excited, I'm I'm not very excited. But I, it's only like a matter of years before people start getting cholera in L.A. or Frisco.
1: I I mean yeah, like I said, I'm really excited. I think this is great. Uh, we here all love medieval fantasy, and now we get to live in the dark ages of medieval fantasy. Except there aren't any big titty elf waifus.
0: Uh, or well, if you build
1: it, they will come. Maybe I hope I don't know.
0: That's the theory. <laughs> that's what that's what L A is trying to do. They're trying to to re uh, revive, you know. Elven culture, revive Elven and Dwarven culture, right?
1: No, please, no dwarves. Uh, I can't. <laughs> I can't take any more dwarves after. Oh uh, uh, yeah, so I guess I'll just get uh, into dwarves, the... huh? That kind of,
2: kind of hovers the old nagalas
1: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what I wanted to get into. Was uh, so since our last episode, I didn't Pathfinder get to ask anybody
2: what they did this
1: week. Oh, I know, because well, we, I did stuff since the last episode. <laughs> Oh, I'm too. so eager to talk about... Alright, fine, fine. fine. <laughs> we we got a format. We got a format.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Go Stick ahead. to the format, John. <laughs> Stick to... Trust the plan. Trust the plan. <laughs> so, Jack. Yes. Did you do
2: anything uh, miniature role-playing games, war games, traditional games related this week or the last couple weeks?
0: Well, for 40K, I've scheduled a game for next week with my friend after, like two or three months, and I'm also going to be getting back into 40k, uh, because my friend who's in the the military gets back, and he plays uh, tanky Imperial Guard. All he has for Imperial Guard are tanks, just rows and rows of tanks, so I'm going to enjoy that when he gets back in October. But, yeah, I mean, uh, mostly just working on my my, uh, Star Wars roleplay. Uh, game that I'm making so it's going to be interesting
1: well here's a question for you have you ever got around to uh, painting that Stargate
0: I actually have it uh, primed and I have it uh, I have it um, dry brushed the way I want to so it it, so it kind of looks like it's just the details that aren't exactly perfect okay. yet well but, at least it's not gray yeah, yeah, yeah well i mean i mean it's it's gray but but it's but it's like a very dark gray and it looks like stone like like oh, that's okay. that's the that's the goal is for, for it's not for gray the
2: plastic game. it's acceptable right
0: Right, exactly. It's acceptable. I I still have to do, I'm going to do a a technique for all of the symbols around the the, the circle to make it look uh, like they're glowing. So that's my next uh, project for that. And then, of course, all the little details with the with the chains and everything need to be filled in. So,
1: okay, that makes me curious. How do you paint it in such a way that it looks glowing outside of like glow in the dark paint?
0: Uh, so so there's a couple of techniques out there. I I personally really like uh the the technique of just um, going from. So, so it kind of depends on what color you want it to look uh, glowing, but, but most of the techniques involve going from very dark, right? you, uh, you, you kind of make you kind of make the, uh, the color that you want it to glow as uh, into a wash almost. And you kind of paint it around and, and also mix a little bit of black in it. So you basically go from dark to light in the center and then uh, and then in the very center you take some some white, right. And you make it a little bit runny and you just kind of paint in the center where, where the model has like a crevice in it. You just, you just paint like, like a very, a very obvious white in the center. And that, and that'll usually make it look as though it's, it's, it's got like a source of light inside and that it's, it's moving outward.
1: Yeah. That's actually the exact same technique that you would use in digital art, uh, just using, uh, various colors and, like, Gaussian blurs at larger sizes. So that's pretty interesting. That's kind of what I was thinking. I just didn't realize it would apply the same way to a physical medium.
2: You also shouldn't forget that when you do a a light source on a model, you should think about where that light would be reflected off or shown on other portions of the model. So it's not uncommon for people to, say, have, like, a yellow light somewhere on a model and then have, like, yellow-tinted stuff, like, off on other areas of the model. I've done that with muscle flashes on models before
0: that's actually exactly where i was going with this so so i've got a couple of areas picked out and what i'm going to do i think i'm going to make it glow red although blue is also a possibility since i have a xinchian army and basically what you do is you finish up the model right and then you you pick out various areas in which it looks like it's glowing and then you just like dry brush a little bit of that that's that's my technique i don't know if there's a better way to do that I don't know, Mongoose, do you have a... I've
2: I've I've mixed in, in the past, when I've done, like, Muzzle Flare, I've mixed in, uh, although I guess it'd be a little harder in your case, I've mixed in, like, uh, yellow and gold metallics to give it that extra shine when I did my dry brushing and when I did the actual flare itself.
0: Yeah, this, this this guy is probably one of the largest models I've painted, honestly. Like, I'm, you know, for, for a smaller model, you want much brighter colors, uh, generally speaking. But this this model is absolutely huge. So, I'm... Uh,
1: what about uh, putting LEDs in there? Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> so, I've seen that.
0: Actually, That's yes. That's
1: cool.
2: Not on that model, but I've seen uh, one of the cool things I saw. was Some dude built a ruined tank for 40K. And then he mm-hmm. made this smoke plume thing that he put, like, a battery and some LEDs and a switch in and He could flip the switch and put it on there, and the LEDs would flicker at random intervals, making the smoke oh, flare look like it yeah. was burning on the inside.
1: That is cool. I like it.
0: So, so my friend, before he moved away to a uh, to a foreign country, uh, he actually had a trick where he'd get one of those candles that you buy for like Christmas to put in your windows or something. Like one of yeah. those one of those electric candles with a battery in it, and he'd strip it down to just the. the uh, the light and the flickering uh, uh, battery component, and he'd take that and put that on uh, on cotton, and then spray paint black onto the cotton, so that so that when you turned it on, it looked like it was black smoke with a little flickering uh, light inside. Yeah. Of it. So that's actually a really good way to make one of those, and you can ju- you can place those anywhere you want. So like if if you've got like a a, a destroyed ruin or something, you just place it on the destroyed ruin. And the uh, the plastic uh, candle is heavier than the the cotton, so it'll usually stand up straight.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, little uh little tricks like that really really tend to uh, make the play area a little bit more a uh, little bit a little bit more lively, you know, more dynamic, more dynamic, right? I also have a fr- uh, my blood angel friend. He actually uh, he got a night kit and he actually put blue leds in the knight's uh, eyes.
1: Oh nice.
0: And he connected a small speaker, a bluetooth speaker to it and and there was <laughs> there was a perfect amount of room inside of the inside of the knight to put the speaker in so he could play music through it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> See, I would play like the old school StarCraft 1 Goliath quotes. Goliath. Yeah. Well, Goliath online.
0: Ten four Taccom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That'd well, be so good. His his idea, I think, was uh he was gonna add it to his Sisters of Battle Army before before you know, obviously this was before any of the new stuff was coming out, and he was going to play like organ music through it.
1: Oh,
2: nice. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah.
0: So like, uh,
2: this was back before sister, uh, Serena Williams, huh? Yes. <laughs>
1: Speaking of which boy Pathfinder, I oh, really boy. want to talk about. Yeah. Oh, I, no, I, okay. I didn't,
0: <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I kind of, I kind of s- stole it from what I did last three weeks. So good. No, that's fine. Go ahead. mongoose. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry yeah. Not... I just
2: got a couple of games last Saturday with flames and, uh, really the only comment I wanted to give to everybody on that was, um, the uh the best advice I can give anybody if they want to play the Brits and Flames is just buy Churchills. All the Churchills you can. They're they're really good. They're they're just really great. I I I don't think there's any reason as a Brit player to run anything other than Churchills. I guess you could run M10 17 pounders if you wanted. But you're just better off just running Churchills like any point wasted on anything that isn't churchills or infantry and infantry support stuff is point wasted
0: aren't, aren't the churchills the 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 long metallic uh shoebox looking tanks
2: they're they're very long and shoebox looking yes and they're they're very uh in game they're actually fairly slow but they have a lot of buffs for being infantry tanks like uh they're very good at combat like close combat they uh they will get stuck
1: in and uh more easily. They don't run away much. So that sounds like they're poorly balanced if that's the only thing worth taking. It's not it's the only thing it's it's not that they're like poorly balanced, it's just that they're
2: in the current meta, they are uh they do particularly well on certain things. I think that as things begin to shift around the Brits may actually have more viable options again. Um when the Brit Normandy book comes out, you're probably gonna see more I mean, the thing is, is like you could take British Shermans, and British Shermans are actually really great. It's just, why would you? Because it's it it's British Shermans. Like you could just play American Shermans, and sure, you get the Firefly tanks and all that stuff, but you know, it's not characteristically British.
0: H- Historically, though, weren't the Churchills pretty uh, ubiquitous amongst the the, the specifically British uh, infantry when they had to deploy, you know, en masse? weren't they weren't they fairly uh, well liked on the and used quite a bit?
2: They were well liked and well used, yes, and they were kind of populous amongst any infantry assault because they were an infantry support vehicle first and foremost, which is why you should run Churchills with infantry. But beyond that, I mean, I th- I think that that's kind of the most fun British list, and that's the British lists I've had the most fun playing recently are British infantry with Churchills and support. Or Churchill's with infantry and support, but I'm really interested to see what the british d day book does with them uh more than anything else and that'll be uh that'll be a lot of fun, but that's uh that's next spring, so gotta wait for it anyway speaking of things that we've already been waiting for John
1: yeah uh I played uh in your role playing game I campaign. was gonna ask about Pathfinder. <laughs> oh, now you want me to talk about Path? Okay, okay. Well,
2: do you want to talk about the role-playing game, or do you want to talk about
1: Pathfinder? It's your choice. <laughs> uh, no, let's talk about gender and pronouns. Sorry, I mean Pathfinder 2. Ah, yes. Okay.
2: Pronouns and prairies.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, in your character sheet, uh, this is the first thing I pulled up because it's amazing. So it, in the character creation section, they have a little blurb. Gender and pronouns. Characters of all genders are equally likely to become adventurers. Record your character's gender, if applicable.
0: If applicable.
1: And their pronouns on the third page of the character sheet. State enforced non-binaryism.
2: I would like to point out that the best, if you have to do this with people, you the way you do it is you uh you just flex on them with uh with just absurd shit like
1: Yeah, dra- dragon dragon self, yeah.
2: No, no, not that. They would they would like accept that. You want to come up with something that's like actually absurd. And they will kind of catch you out for, but rules is written, they have no recourse against.
1: Well, anyway. Uh yeah, so Pathfinder 2 came out uh earlier this month. And uh, it was being touted as the next big thing, and wouldn't you know it, it's basically just Reddit and Tumblr make a fantasy heartbreaker. <laughs> because it's just all the same crap. It's it's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, but with social justice, so, is effectively
0: what it is. So it's like the new uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade bloodlines, then?
1: I actually have not looked into that, but yeah, I've heard that that's getting pretty bad, too. But no, this is actually Dungeons & Dragons with social justice. It's like, you've got the big six attributes, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. You've got your character classes, and they are, of course, everything that you would recognize uh, from Dungeons & Dragons itself. What mechanical changes did they make, if any, and are they any good? Uh, I'm sure they did make changes. In fact, I know that they actually made several. One of the big ones is that uh, in combat, you actually choose between three actions every turn. And they're much smaller than previous actions. Things like raise shield, uh, you know, take step, strike with weapon. It's kind of designed to make the combat feel a little bit more, I don't know, Bloodborne-esque. Instead of uh, something like a, a traditional war game. Where it's like you've got a time slot and different actions take time slots. And you devote a time slot to an action and hope that you kind of catch the enemy off guard with that time slot. It's kind of neat, I guess. It's just drenched in homosexuality. I feel
2: as though that's a an attempt to make the combat actually more simple because one of the problems I yeah. had with people starting off with Pathfinder is Pathfinder and D D combat is actually despite the combat emphasis of those symptoms, it's actually quite obtuse because it's based on like an old Avalon Hill era war game.
1: <laughs> yeah. How I don't I don't get how it's Complex because it the majority of action I found in these things just boils down to m- move your movement attack target. It
2: it does. Okay. The problem is is that like there's a lot of like baseline random weird stuff that you can do, and especially if you have like lol random players who want to do random stuff and they don't exactly understand how all the rules interact. Like another a the classic example is like grappling in D and D, is. Well, that's- uh,
1: yeah, that's I mean that's notoriously bad. It's always been bad.
2: Well yeah, it's it's because a system is based off of a system that's 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 based off, of a, system that's based off of a system that was not optimized for that in the first place. It really just kinda of boils down to uh this game these games and spe- specifically, Pathfinder and D and D are stuck to mechanics that uh that were not conceived for what they're currently being used to do. Um yeah, And they have to stick to them for their brand. Like, D&D could not become... D&D and Pathfinder couldn't become anything other than themselves. And, like, you know, I've heard that, like, oh, the Pathfinder classes are just collections of feats now. And it's like... Well, yeah. Yeah, sure. But, I mean, that...
0: I mean, that, that that's kind of what it was before, though. I mean...
2: Yeah, a class is really just a collection of feats. It's just dictated and, to you
0: the feats. <laughs> and And even a race. You know, because, like,
1: Whoa, whoa, sir, that's a problematic <laughs> yeah, term. Yeah, we don't have races, they don't have, we have ancestries. They don't have races anymore. Oh, are
0: you serious? They don't yeah, have races? There's... They're ancestries. Uh, well, they...
1: Yeah, they still have races. They just call them ancestries, because the word race is oh, very triggering. you kidding me. I'm tapping the red no, pedal on you, sir. No,
2: we're We're basically going to get to the <laughs> point where all Tolkien-inspired fantasy has to like actively disavow Tolkien. I'm okay with this. Like, I don't want this associated with Tolkien.
1: Well, what we're basically doing now is creating something that spits in the face of what he made and playing it under the guise of still being faithful. It's like a desecration of the concepts that he set up. It deliberately misunderstands everything Tolkien was about. I mean... Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's... I don't know if it's a misunderstanding or if it's a malicious reinterpretation.
2: Uh, no, I... I honestly believe that the people that first wrote D&D had some understanding of, like, Tolkien-type themes and and incorporated some of them into their work, like Gary Gygax, who I believe was actually brilliant, but D&D itself was then adopted by writers, wizards, who don't or didn't have a full grasp of what made Tolkien good. Or were simply so far up their own anuses that they just wanted to ignore it and do their own thing without actually understanding mm. like what what actually in these tropes appeals to people, what makes them good. Um, yeah, Pathfinder very much. It's like I've I've heard some things about it being good, but I've actually seen the physical core rulebook because I've got a buddy and his roommate actually uh, has it, and I looked at it. Now it's it's. Uh, it's about the size of a like. It's legitimately the size of a textbook.
1: Oh yeah. No, yeah, I mean
2: yeah. like I, I've got other game rule books, and they're like you know, maybe, maybe an inch, like half an inch thick at most. Like half an inch is like reasonable, because that's gonna give you you know, maybe a good two hundred pages or so, to give you uh to give yourself a game, which is really all you need. Like two hundred pages. If you have to go more than that. You have a game that is way overcomplicated.
1: Or you've got a political manifesto with some rules sprinkled in it.
2: I, I don't know if the, like it's Sigmata bad in terms of rules because the uh it's 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 a fairly dense book in terms of like rules text, but that's also oh, a problem yeah, in and of
1: itself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's rules for absolutely every little scenario that you might encounter, including a specific rule. For when you are sliding off of an edge and want to catch on to that edge with your hand, both one-handed and two-handed.
2: Yeah, I mean, these systems, like, people presume, like, everyone plays them, but nobody actually really plays them. They use, like, some of the baseline stuff and they kind of wing it from there on. Because there's absolutely no way everyone uses every single rule in the rulebook, or if they do, they're just playing. The, the entire game is basically just a negotiation of the rules.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've, oh, yeah I've, constantly i constantly have on to look up. I have almost never used all of the rules in D and D, going as back as three uh, Also, for this uh, for for the topic uh, about uh, what things are inspired by, I'm currently reading Appendix N by Jeffro Johnson. And I'm going to mm. have, I'm going to have a lot to talk about that next time. Uh, basically, basically to, uh, Gygax uh, got a whole bunch of inspiration, not just from Tolkien, but people like Edgar Rice Burroughs. So I'm going to, yeah. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be, I'm I'm really looking forward to reading that book.
1: Yeah, I heard about that recently uh, from the opposite side of the political spectrum about how problematic the priors were and why it needed to be changed and uh, freed from the uh, blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> oh yeah, let
0: me l- let me let me let me tell you, the priors are really problematic. So. Oh
1: yeah, and I and I love that they called it Appendix N. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: that's that's the best. You you need to look up if this I ever
2: book. write if I ever write a uh, a game, there's going to be Appendix N. I, G1,
0: <laughs>
2: G2. G1 and G2,
0: I like that. <laughs> G- oh, man. But no,
1: That's yeah, some of the books in there are pretty amazing. I don't yeah.
2: imagine I'll need more than four appendixes.
1: Appendices. Appendices. Uh, who cares?
2: Anyway, <laughs> so um, back to things that people actually do care about for some reason. The The thing about like Pathfinder and D&D is people will defend these systems on the merits that, like, oh, I play this system, but, like... And then you can point out a bad rule or, like, some absu- obtuse, stupid thing about it. And they're like, well, my group doesn't use that. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't... See, the thing about it is everyone has the system in their mind as the way they play it with their particular group, which essentially yeah. boils down to their particular set of workarounds to get around the absurdly bad game design that these systems are uh, well-known for. And uh, that's their, like... That's their, like, coping device for it. That doesn't actually defend the system in the abstract, though, because if the system's bad, you wouldn't need to modify literally half of it or ignore large portions of it to make it playable. I can think of plenty of systems where you can just not use a lot of the rules because they just don't come up, but the core mechanics are so versatile that the system itself can be, uh, you know, adapted to a lot of things. Savage Worlds comes to mind.
1: Oh, yeah. Fate... Yeah.
2: Well, Fate is basically its core mechanics and that's it. It doesn't really have any ancillary rules. I mean, Fate basically well, has like a core resolution mechanics and some things modified around it, and then it's up to you to kind of build everything else out of it, you know?
1: Yes. I mean, it, it, you do have modifiers based on circumstances, which is really
2: But that comes up to what the GM. I mean, that's like
1: <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, everything always comes up to a person. Like the people the people who made Pathfinder two arbitrarily decided how difficult it is to be sliding off of a surface and grab on with one hand. Yeah. How is which... that like somehow more or less legitimate than the GM deciding how difficult that would be on the fly?
2: Well, the thing is the the thing I've always had, the the problem I've always had with this is when you have these sorts of scenarios, it actually I think if you don't the, the theory to game design should be if it's not something everyone is going to come up with or is going to have a high likelihood of coming up, coming up against or would be useful to put in the rulebook don't put it in the rulebook um period
1: well i can i can count on uh on two hands the number of times that my character has slid off of an edge in your campaign so i guess i'm wrong on that one my apologies i uh, f- <clears throat> that that doesn't happen though <laughs> Oh, wait, yeah, you're right. That's literally never happened.
2: Oh, well, yeah, but sorry. Think, think about it this way, though. I mean, even if you had a campaign where it did happen a lot, if that's not the experience of most players, or it isn't something that directly... So a good example of this is the Savage World's chase rules. They're in there because they had an interesting take on the way chases should be done in a role-playing game. Otherwise like they didn't the, savage rules does not have a rule for sliding off a ledge and grabbing some and we're just we're picking on this in particular cuz it's an example there are tons of things in these systems that are like this so if anyone wants to get all uppity with like a well you only picked on this one rule it's like yeah because uh if we wanted to we could spend our time picking out every single little rule that's stupid like this we're just using this one as an example but You know, unless it directly contributes to the system or it's something that, like, most people would have a problem with or will encounter and therefore needs to be arbitrated, you shouldn't really include much more than your uh, base resolution mechanics and other things that add flavor significantly.
1: Yeah, or are specific to the genre. Things like, uh, you know, survival or uh, sustenance gathering in an Apocalypse or Survival game or... uh, uh, you know, light rules for, for how to see in a dark dungeon for a dungeon-delving game. Stuff like that, you know, absolutely have custom rules and mechanics about it. Uh, it's just, it's weird, this this approach to, we need to have rules to cover everything that players might potentially encounter, because for one thing, you're never going to be able to do that. You can't. For, for two, you shouldn't want what to do I'm that. What if I'm playing
2: a character with three hands? I mean, what if my character got mutated? with magic and he has three hands how do i how do i slide Fred. off a roll how do i slide off a ledge pathfinder how do i do it <laughs>
1: uh... you get an
0: extra action <laughs> that's all
1: let me i got it right here um grab an edge reaction trigger you fall from or pass an edge or handhold requirements your hands are not tied behind your back or otherwise restrained When you fall off or past an edge or other handhold, you try to grab it, potentially stopping your fall. You must succeed at a reflex save, usually at the climb difficulty check. If you grab the edge or handhold, you can then use climb or you can climb up using athletics. Oh, okay. So, so that each ledge has a climb difficulty check and then you use the skill athletics after your reflex save. Right. Okay.
0: So, so climb is like a feat of some kind.
1: No, climb is like a feature of the terrain. Climb difficulty check. Climb DC.
0: Okay, so you're... So
1: each each ledge has its own climb DC.
0: (laughs) Okay, Okay. all right. I mean, I guess... So when you're... I, I i guess that's like a rules has written way for how you would normally do it it's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna figure out a difficulty check for this roll your dice no no
1: no no you have to consult the the, the chart oh, the... of difficulty checks based on the angle of the wall and the material that the wall is made out is of. that seriously a thing in there <laughs> no, well it probably is but i haven't seen it but i can
2: <laughs> i can absolutely see it being one yeah i'm just like the The fact that we have to double check that really
1: says more about the system than anything we ever could uh yeah i mean i would bet you that there is probably a difficulty based on material
0: well so anyway um... so so I'd, I'd like to play devil's advocate a little bit here not necessarily for Pathfinder specifically but mm. um but for systems so uh, so i say this because i'm going through edge of the empire role playing game and i've noticed that there are a lot a lot a lot of talents right for yeah. for a whole bunch of things right and normally uh, when you when you attempt to do something that has difficulty in it you basically just you know roll whatever would make sense uh, for one of your stats right and then there's this mm-hmm. long list of talents that you can that you can buy to To make something easier based on that. So like uh, so like for instance, Inspiring Rhetoric, right? It's got like a paragraph of what you do if you have this talent. The, the idea though, is that each character would only have like, I don't know, like four or five talents, and those would be like special abilities that they would use. So if you've got like improved climb or something, like that's where you get specific rules for climbing things right so so if you're you know if 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 a normal person is trying to climb a rock ledge or something the the dm figures out a difficulty check everyone makes the roll and if you have improved climb you know this because it's one of your four or five talents that you have and you like you know you just you just say okay well i'm also going to make you know, roll these additional dice because this is what my talent says, right?
1: Well, and I completely support that because effectively what that mechanic is doing is it's giving the players a method of communicating to the game master, hey, I want this to come up in play. Right, yeah. Because my character is good at it and you want, generally the game master wants the story to be about things that there is at least one character who's competent at it like you wouldn't want to have uh you know a heavy combat scene with a bunch of like librarians who've never even held a knife before unless
2: unless you were going for like a fish out of water theme or something you know
1: sure but you wouldn't want the entire game to be about that right of course that not, would be but that would be good for for a scene and to to emphasize you know either to emphasize how the the players need help to encourage them to find in a creative way around it or to build frustration with the intention of providing catharsis later on. Sure. However, generally speaking, uh, you don't want to do that too often. So the the game master is going to want to design scenes based around things that the characters are good at. When you take the talent advanced climbing, you're, you're giving a... Like you're passing a note to the game master saying, Hey, go ahead and put things into the world that need to be climbed. My character's good at it. And that'll be... That's one way unless
2: you can... Unless you... Unless you don't tell the game master you did this and then you bitch about it later. (laughs) I've had this plan. I've had this happen.
1: The, the game. Okay. So the game mechanics, the game rules should be simple enough that the character, the players can give their character sheets to the game master and the game master can very quickly and effectively garner useful information from those character sheets to help him when he's, when he's forming the game, when he's forming the session, when he's forming the world. If it's too complex where you've got too many bits and you've got pronouns and you've got genders and you've got sexual orientations and you've got penis angles or whatever, then, I mean, we're running into fatal. Pathfinder is like turning itself into fatal where you've got three pages of like social justice statistics. John,
0: roll for anal circumference.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can roll for it, but I won't know what to do with it because I didn't write down my orientation. Right. Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, is that, but is it's... that
0: actually in Pathfinder? I'm curious now.
1: Which one? Orientation? Yeah,
0: or like or or like rolling for things for that.
1: Oh, the in the I I don't remember if that's in the character creation. I think you just choose it because uh actually that's kind of problematic if you can choose your gender. No. Uh
2: because gender's a spectrum or whatever something yeah,
0: but, yeah, but, but you, you don't can,
1: choose it. It happens to you. You
0: can choose to be gender fluid, though.
1: Can you? Is that how that works? Yeah. Because I thought you couldn't, uh, you can't, you can't discriminate against people with other weird genders because they didn't choose that.
2: Yeah, but you, you could choose it in this context because the game is about voluntary interactions and freedom or something. That's why right. there are so many choices, because it's a game about freedom and decision.
1: Yeah, well, do I have the freedom to not have to worry about weird pronouns on other characters? The,
2: the real question is, is how do you have a game about freedom and decisions when you're not literally given every single decision, but you're only given a set number of decisions that just happens to be incredibly
1: <laughs> large? Oh, okay, I don't think anyone else is worried about that. But. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, the common <laughs> the common bit about Pathfinders, it's like, oh yeah, the game has a lot of decisions in it. Uh, you should you should like that because it allows a lot of customization on the part of the players. Wow. Wow. And you know that it's like yeah, but I mean, what if I want something outside the rules? And then suddenly there's a big, giant problem because then you either have to, uh, you know, build it yourself or
1: counts as maybe or you know. I think the, the larger meta point that you're making is that because Pathfinder has such specific structure for rules and how to play the game, that it creates the sort of mindset in the players and, and in the game masters to look to those rules for guidance and to follow those rules and to expect everything to be laid out in those rules rather than creating or, or inspiring the sort of creative thinking that would allow them to tackle out of the norm situations. Well, Pathfinder
2: uh, just happens to be the world's most complicated, uh, MMO, a uh, massively multiplayer offline RPG. I mean, that's really all it is. This is just like you you see like skill trees in an MMO, in an MMO, like that are just completely long and extensive and have all this weird stuff in them that's what pathfinder is.
0: <laughs> Usually though and 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 I can see where you're going with this. Usually for for a, for an online game or some sort of computer game, the game itself calculates everything and allows you to, you know, just just have complicated things in there and it and it'll just calculate everything, right? Whereas yeah. whereas in a, whereas in a tabletop game you have to do that yourself. It's pretty terrible. Well, this is why
1: I I continue to support the idea of using digital tools to help uh, handle that sort of thing on the fly. Things like uh, automated Excel spreadsheets that can be integrated into games. But I think we're, we're not there yet in seeing that kind of technology. I've
2: I've actually, the first time I played Pathfinder, I was given a, a Google Doc uh, spreadsheet that would p- automatically populate a lot of things based on character
1: level in class. Yeah, there's there's a tool like that for uh, Shadowrun as well, which makes it significantly faster, keeps track of everything, makes it a lot easier.
2: Yeah, but the thing about it is I've always been skeptical of games that required that out of players uh, that were so complicated that it was almost unintelligible without a uh, a big, long spreadsheet. Because it, it literally had five pages that were required.
1: Holy cow, yeah. One wow. of
2: them was just the uh, the baseline game statistics that would be referenced by the uh, the things in the others.
1: Right. I mean, with Shadowrun, it's more so... or it's less auto-calculating and more so just keeping track of expenditures because it's a very resource-focused game. Well, there's uh, a difference between your...
2: needing to write everything down and, like, actually needing a bunch of crap.
1: <laughs> I don't know what that means.
2: <laughs> that was so vague. It, it was well, it, it's, it's vague because the, the things you actually have to keep uh, track of in these games are multifarious and can't be described in realistic terms outside of vagueness because you got to keep track of, like, Weight and how much of this you have, and whatever of that you have, and the other thing is, Pathfinder and D and D do not advertise themselves to their players as resource management games. But if you play them rules as written, mm. these are resource management accounting games with a with a side bit in like weird statistics. <laughs>
0: yeah. are weird statistics. Is that yes?
2: A, uh... Weird statistics, as in like not use <laughs> imaginary
1: imaginary numbers. Not <laughs> literally. Not,
2: not useful. Um. Uh, not useful stats, but like you'll you'll end up with these statistical arguments, like is a D12 better than two D6s or something between people need to figure this out mm-hmm. or that out, um, which it is not. It is not no, um, but uh, well, you could actually make the argument that uh, a let's not D12 actually has a higher chance of something or other because a D12 is a one in twelve chance of hitting a twelve, while a D6 only has a two D6 only has a one in thirty six chance. So, on average, they'll be better, but if you're looking for something that'll randomly do more damage, like, it, it, it it's
1: complicated, but again... <laughs> it's irrelevant, too. I want to complain about Pathfinder more. Well, I
2: this we are complaining about Pathfinder in a sense, because it's like, you gotta keep track of all your weight and stuff, but then there's like a weird weight equation to figure out how much you can carry based off of, like, your strength, and then this, and then that. And it all just... Okay, one thing. If you don't if it's not explained to you easily how armor works in these kinds of games, it makes no sense trying to figure it out yourself. Like especially the way the weight is calculated when you're wearing it versus when you're not.
0: Mm. Or or like or like getting fatigued. Do you have the Do you have the fatigued? uh, uh I, Stat.
2: I'm not sure about Pathfinder 2, but I'm sure there's some crazy stuff involving
0: it. Yeah.
1: Have we talked about the art in this game at all, John? No, that's what I wanted to complain about, was the art and the lore.
0: Ooh, lore.
2: You know what? Let's talk about the lore first, then the art.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, the So the lore of this game, they've, they've gotten rid of race, and they've introduced, or they've got ancestry. And so you can have these various different ancestries, and uh, they're about what you would expect for a fantasy setting. They've got dwarf and elf and gnome, uh, halfling, human. Goblin. And... Goblin, yeah, they introduced goblin. Also worth noting that they can't half elves, half orcs, and whatever
2: half whatever else as humans in their uh, taxonomical right. classifications.
1: That's so
0: fucking stupid.
1: <laughs> so uh, the interesting thing, uh, however, though, is that uh, if you're not playing a human, you're playing some facet of uh Semitic tribe, basically. Fascinating. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah allow me allow me to explain. it's star trek the r p g everyone is the Jews.
0: well it's 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 i have everyone, heard that, yeah. it's everyone is the jews but with with uh plastic foreheads right
1: uh or well plastic ears in this right. case Pla- plastic
0: yeah. ears plastic noses
1: oh yeah they have uh they have some noses on the dwarves let me tell you um yeah the dwarves are extremely semitic they um uh, so let me let me give you the background for why this is. Basically, humans are diverse. That is the that is repeated so many times throughout this book. Humans are diverse. Humans are diverse. Humans are diverse. Human cities are diverse locations. Diverse, diverse, diverse. They
0: say even it, even the small villages.
1: Oh, every single one. You can't have a house without having two races <laughs> living next to each other.
0: The best the
2: best part of um this though is that they actually identify distinct groups of humans by hair and eye color so what? they're yeah, evidently made... not not diverse enough for that but they're all but also these groups of people are G uh, um they are geographically separated so the game actually does have this weird sort of almost Race. realistic taxonomic uh, taxonomical classification of humans
1: but ethnicities, I guess you could call them. Yeah, but like, yeah, they call them ethnic groups. So, yeah, so they've got a bunch of ethnic groups for humans. Uh, three of them are white people and the rest of them are, are Indian, uh, other Indian, uh, Asian and, uh, and Africans. The white people in this are very interesting. One of them is just straight up Pegang gang gang.
2: Oh, yeah. There's like
1: Vikings, the
2: British Empire. Those are the those are the two groups of like nominally OK
1: white people. Right. Well, th- let me get into that. There's there's the Pagan Gang, and they're just described as, grr, why do you still believe in Jesus? Uh, <laughs> then there's the uh, the British Empire, who are explicitly described in the book as being, uh, like, the descendants of a failed and fallen empire that once spanned the continent.
0: Makes sense, yeah.
1: They're relics of a bygone era, the Brits. Yeah, which I agree. Uh, Then the other, and they can't even have spoon like combat spoons anymore. Anyway,
2: yeah, the (laughs) the Welsh are the superior race.
1: Yeah, okay. They don't have Welsh in here. It's very exclusionary. Yeah, it's very.
2: This is a very racist game. There's no Welsh (laughs) analog. I'm gonna have to write Pazio a very, very long form angry letter in Welsh.
1: Yeah, I'm sure they'll read that. Uh, Then the third, the third type. Of white people in this is my absolute favorite. I'm just gonna read it. The Nidalees. Nidalees hail from a culture that escaped destruction during the Earthfall when a swarm of meteoroids carved out the Inner Sea. The ancient Nidalees pledged fealty to an evil shadow god to obtain salvation, and the grip of Zon Kuthon has tainted these people ever since.
0: The is That so what? Uh Nibis? no these are these are
1: nibbins. They they pl- No, I told just said they're white people.
0: Oh okay, sorry. Go on.
1: They these are the ones who pledge themselves to an evil shadow god to obtain salvation.
0: So they're Germans.
1: Yeah, how did you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah, uh, they're just you, Germans. and
2: if you look at the guy, he's very clearly like just like a black hair, black-eyed German-looking dude, like North German.
1: Yeah. So... Yeah, so you've got the uh the relic fallen empire, ascendant Pagan Gang, and the uh the evil Hitlerites.
0: Hmm, fascinating.
1: If
2: I'm ever asked to play this game, I am playing a Needleese. And I'm just going yes, to be absolutely. a Nazi. Like that's the flex. The <laughs>
1: <laughs> You know what, Shadow God wasn't too bad compared to the dwarf overlords.
2: Yeah. Uh, all <laughs> things considered, you know, things were better back when we had the Shadow God. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the Shadow God did nothing wrong.
2: Yeah, the Shadow God did nothing wrong. The dwarf smoke huts? How could they have smoked the dwarves
1: with wooden doors? <laughs> <laughs> that is actually part of the lore. Okay, explain. No, uh, yeah, so... Okay, so So every human... Uh, humans are diverse. Human. Like, again, I can't emphasize that enough, because the book... Can't emphasize it
0: enough. Can I just humans can I, can I just say something real quick? I, I miss yeah, go ahead. I miss when the humans are diverse meme was 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 actually cool because you had nations of humans that were actually diverse.
2: Well the these have like nations sort
1: of but they're like
2: really weird
0: But but they're all cosmopolitan though.
1: Yes, every human city is like has every type of human mixed in all together, and other races. They emphasize that specifically, too. Human cities are home to every race. Right. H- However, every other race is isolationist, but they give you a reason why so that you don't go and think that those other races are somehow evil. Right? So, for instance, this is my favorite part of the book. Dwarves are slow to trust those outside their kin, but this wariness is not without reason. Of course not. You see, dwarves have a long history of forced exile from ancestral (laughs) holds and struggles against the depredations of
0: savage foes. From the dark god. From the shadow god.
1: (laughs) From the shadow god. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so you see, the the dwarves have been historically persecuted for no reason at all.
0: (laughs) No reason would anyone persecute the dwarves. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> All at once for no reason. They may re- run the banking clans, but there's no reason.
1: Actually, this is my other uh, favorite bit right here. Few dwarves are seen without their clan dagger strapped to their belt. This dagger is forged just before a dwarf's birth and bears the gemstone of their clan. A parent <laughs> uses this dagger to cut the infant's umbilical cord, making it the first <laughs> weapon to taste their blood. So dwarves have breeze. bris, bris, brisses. how do you, I don't know what the, bris, the thing where they, they, they cut the penis, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, for no reason, these dwarves are kicked out of uh, nation, uh, I mean, strongholds.
0: Well, th- well, thank goodness they're, they're, uh, they're, they're closed to the outside. Otherwise they may go extinct, you know?
1: Uh, yeah. 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 You won't want that. Absolutely not. No, of course not. Um, let's see. Also, then, of course, there's the elves. Um, elves are often rather private people steeped in the secrets of their groves and kinship groups. They're slow to build friendships outside of their kinsfolk, but for a specific reason.
0: Please enlighten me as to what they...
1: <laughs> they subtly and deeply attuned to their environment and their companions. So you see... It's okay to be racist if you love the earth.
2: Hmm.
1: No, it's not.
2: I mean, it's not. Uh, I mean, it's not by by the morality of the people writing this. It's not. They just uh, the the elves and the dwarves are very clearly um are very clearly protected categories as defined by the United States government <laughs> under the uh, Civil Rights Act. They're not. Um, these guys aren't
1: your your bog standard pine bros. well yeah uh one more one more i want to read halflings okay halflings have no cultural homeland and instead weave themselves throughout the societies of the world halflings eke out whatever living they can manage many performing menial labor yeah sure a three foot tall person performs menial labor okay or holding simple service jobs some halflings reject city life. Instead, turning to the open road and traveling from place to place in search of fortune and fame.
0: Oh, service jobs. What kind of yeah. what kind of service jobs is he running?
1: Banking and uh, snake oil sales.
0: <laughs> oh, of course, everyone likes snake oil.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, halflings aren't racist because they don't even have a homeland. They just live amongst their host populations. Also, I just, I I love the idea that they're trying to sell me that these three-foot-tall midget motherfuckers are doing menial labor jobs. Okay. Well, the real, the real bit there
2: is this is another misinterpretation of Tolkien. They don't understand what the halflings were supposed to be and represent. Now the halflings have just become, like, quirky humans,
0: lol. Or, Or gypsies.
1: Yeah. Many taller people dismiss halflings due to their size. Or worse. Treat them like children. Halflings use these prejudices and misconceptions to their advantage, gaining access to opportunities and performing deeds of daring mischief. So, oh,
0: daring mischief.
1: <laughs> it's your racism that makes them commit crimes, Goy.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Also, I just want a little bit later in the book, uh, they rarely grow to be more than three feet and tall, dot, dot, dot. Uh, ...having proportions closer to those of a human child.
0: Oof. Okay.
1: And yet they're often... They're often prejudiced because they're they're conceived to look like children. Except they do look like children. But you're racist for noticing.
0: <laughs> you're, you're racist for noticing.
1: I like that. It's just so disjointed and stupid. They look like children, but they're dismissed be- or worse, treated like children... Because they looked like children. It's like, which one It. What is... You just want to complain. <laughs> Ugh, it's so obnoxious. Okay. One last thing I want to complain about, and this will be quick, because we actually already covered it on last week's episode. Or last episode. The book includes a section entitled Tools for Responsible Play.
0: Ah, yes. Tools. And
1: these tools include... Let's open
0: that toolbox.
1: Yeah, this toolbox is stuffed with lines and veils and the X card. Alright, Mongoose, stop posting Monster Girl porn while we're recording the episode. <laughs> stop <laughs> oh, porn. Oh, seriously? Seriously? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, Why? Awesome. Why? Because I'm listening to what you're saying, but since I have very
2: little to input as to the actual mechanics of this game because I avoided the rule book because
1: it's eye cancer. I'm just So you just went to go look up elves and like cowgirls because they're more <laughs> wholesome than, than whatever this yes. is pretty much. I mean pretty these much. pictures are okay. way
0: better like artistic. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah, I guess we can no, I mean <sighs> that was the, that was my last thing. The the safety tools they provide in the book, the safety tools, lines and veils and the X card, which we've already talked about, but yeah, this is uh they're officially instituted in Pathfinder 2.
2: Yeah, uh shameless plug, uh littlewars.home.blog. I have a blog post up about those and their uh their um effects in a meta sense and what they uh, sort of represent. And uh, you should definitely check that out if you're more interested in the discussion on this uh, on this topic, because it is interesting and, and uh,
0: multifarious. But I mean, th- these are like rules as written now, right? It's yes. Like, it's like it's like
1: well, they were all, they were always rules. It's just that now they're they're slotting that rule module into the official overall rules. It's no longer like a house rule.
0: Right. It's it's insane. Like like these are these are rules yeah. that you would read on a Tumblr blog that everyone would share. And it's like, oh look at this, like this is perfect for home home ruling or something. You know, it's like, nah, this is stupid.
1: That's why I said this is like Tumblr and Reddit got together and made a role playing game, a fa- a fantasy heartbreaker role playing game. Which, I guess, leads us into uh, the art, if we want to get into that a little bit. Yes. I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to cover that besides just, holy crap, this is bad. You're like, going to find me like, hanging from the bedroom! Tr- <laughs> no, you're going to find me hanging from the ledge with the climb DC. <laughs> with,
0: a climb, with, a, with an unclimbable climb DC, so I just, yeah. I just hang myself <laughs> on the ledge.
1: Yeah. I mean, I even went through and found a bunch of the Monster Girls from the Monster Manual... And they even managed to make them look hideous. The mermaid is terrible. They've got a dryad, and she just looks like an unhappy librarian. Uh, they've got giants, and they just look stupid. They've got a naga. I'm saying that's naga. I'm not being racist. It's naga. Uh, but it looks like it's got Thanos's face on it. It's just it's a purple naga with Thanos's face grimacing with like two fangs sticking out it's uh... i
2: i should all um, i should add like the the barbarian um the barbarian oh, looks yeah. perpetually constipated in the book
1: like she just
2: looks like she's oh, yeah. got like she's got some problem with incontinence or something and she's like she got
1: sideways turd face <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the that's the face you make when a turd goes sideways yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, she's, she's in there so much. They love that barbarian girl. Yeah. And every single time she's got this weird grimace as if there's like a fish hook tugging on her upper lip on the right side. Uh, there are only two types of faces in this,
2: three kinds of faces. Sm- like creepy smile, smug look, or sideways turd face. Everything has one of those three faces.
0: <laughs> roll, roll a D3 on the, on the facial expression, Mongoose.
1: No, no, no! You're forgetting the special one that unlocks if you choose the right human ethnicity, oh. and that is serious negress face. Oh, serious negro! Uh, yeah, I forgot
0: that one. The hold um, on. the hold book. On. Hold on. Ah, there we go. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. What'd you get? I got, I got a serious negress face.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I failed. <laughs>
0: go ahead. These. I'm sorry. Th- so the
2: thing about this art is that it is. This sort of modern uh, role-playing game art, which is cell-shaded, computer-drawn, trash. Um, and the actual proportions of these characters is also cell-shaded, computer-aided, trash. The goblins have heads like footballs.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, that's the goblins are terrible
2: in this. The halflings look weird and disgusting and malformed.
0: The...
1: Uh, don't don't forget that they included a transsexual dwarf in the uh, in the page about dwarves.
0: Oh yeah, you showed me that.
2: <laughs> oh my god. The the dwarves look weird and disgusting. The elves look some of them look normal
1: and some of them look weird, disgusting. Most of the humans look no weird the elves and disgusting. the elves look like some kind of insect race in this. They've got like all black eyes and like unnaturally thin limbs, like some kind of slenderman thing going on. They managed to make elves yeah, look in awful. before
2: some nerd in before some nerd shrieks about oh the elves they, they're just supposed to be like unnatural and stuff It's like yeah, no that's that's not the way they're described in the uh, exact sort of fantasy that codified elves as this as not like little fairy forest elf things that lived in rocks so uh well, t- to
0: be to be fair though i remember uh pathfinders changed elves a little bit to have like black irises and stuff like that like
1: uh Well they changed they changed fantasy or medieval humans to have blacks as well. I've
0: I've never yeah, I've <laughs> Right. I mean I've I've never I've never liked Pathfinder's elves though. But see see, that's the thing. It's like Pathfinder's elves have always been very like cell shaded, complete bullshit.
1: Well, that just means it's always been bad. I don't know what to tell yeah.
0: you. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't I don't think they've changed too much about that. I mean I I don't uh, we were talking about this before the call. I don't know what came for uh, who started to do these like cartoony, uh, these cartoony drawings for their uh, for their role playing games first D and D or uh, or Pathfinder because I remember Pathfinder's art being very cartoony.
1: Uh, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I couldn't tell you. It looks worse than the previous
2: Pathfinder art, which was not that great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh the thing that strikes me is like the the only the sole attractive female in this game whatsoever is the sorceress lady. And I don't know if you guys remember when I posted the pictures of her. Yeah. Yeah. But uh if you zoom in on her uh on her her clothes there, she has a particular symbol. <laughs> a particular star that sticks out like a badge almost a blue star with 6 points. Very interesting. Fascinating.
0: Hmm. I wonder I wonder why they put that in there.
1: No reason at all.
0: <coughs> I thought I thought we weren't supposed to have uh, real world symbols. Isn't that isn't that a thing? Like why they removed all the crosses from the shields and stuff?
1: Uh well, you can have one symbol because it transcends space and time.
0: Right. It's always there in the background. Yeah. Always Watching, there. Yeah.
1: By the way, I, I just posted another picture, and this one could almost be good, except uh, it's a it's a heroic-looking guy in some armor with a sword, standing there with a slain wolf on his back uh, in a field. Oh, that's pretty cool. And then you look over to who he's talking to. Oh, she's got shaved. And it's a fantasy lesbian. Yeah. she's worked. She's got the, sh- the short hair on top, but the shaved sides. And uh, she's... She's got a shovel for, and no chest. And uh, but she's definitely I, Well, I I guess I shouldn't assume her pronouns. I haven't seen her character shape.
0: I mean, she's working out in the field. That's fine. You know, she's
1: Yeah, yeah, women women did that and they were digging trenches in the medieval times. Yeah, they right? weren't
0: digging trenches. Because they but... had
1: dish they had dishwashers and laundry machines, so they didn't need them in the house.
0: <laughs> right. No, but but women but I
1: love the shaved hair on the side too that's God,
0: that's that's so that's just like a you you just have to drop that in there I mean it's it's a great picture honestly all things considered like you know he's he's got his sword he's looking at it looks nice you know because mm-hmm. there's nothing yeah. else that's nice in the in the in the scene because <laughs> you know the sword is yeah. more attractive <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love you, sword. You're so beautiful, <laughs> unlike other people around here. <laughs> yeah. It's just none of this art inspires me to tell a heroic story because it's all so ugly. It's all so hideous. What sort of a story are you going to tell when you're looking at this for ins- for visual inspiration of what it looks like for these think these people to be going on adventures it's just going to be an ugly adventure in an ugly land surrounded by ugly people
0: well yeah it's going to be your cosmopolitan uh city adventure punctuated by a couple of clans of of remote uh ethnostate dwarves you know
1: (sighs) (laughs) i just i i just don't I don't get. I don't understand the mindset of somebody who can look at this and say, "I want to play this out at my table."
0: Yeah, there's. there's I want to def-
1: be that character on the page. There's
0: definitely better. Uh, you know, even even going back, uh, you know, even taking just a just a sidestep back to something like like old forgotten realms. You know, before before they changed it for four point Like like that was that was so much better. You can mm-hmm. you can actually play a game in that you know and in fact many people did and they made several computer games based on the forgotten realms yeah because it looks like I mean I mean I, I remember from the old campaign book like the the map even had uh, trade routes on it like this this small nation produced this this small nation mm. produced this and you know this is this is how the trade routes operate so that as a dm you could you could say oh there's a there's a caravan coming by and he's got a you know i mean it was that detailed
1: yeah yeah i, I mean presumably they're going to come out with more set- this is like a weird middle ground for pathfinder where they have very specific setting information things like races and ethnicities but they're kind of vague on the world as a whole almost as if they're waiting for like specific setting books to come out no oh, pathfinder takes
2: place in a setting called like golarian or whatever i think this is kind of more of a base rule book but they're expecting everybody to kind of know about golarian but they may flush it out more with the they always have like advanced classes uh, one of which is a gunslinger which absolutely used to break the game Um and they'll they'll have that and they'll have, you know, your obligatory like dungeon manual stuff which will cover like lore and stuff. So
0: I don't know. Yeah,
1: I I did I posted them a lot from the monster manual. Well, I mean So they they already have another book, but it's
0: I I remember when Pathfinder came out and they, they specifically talked about Galarian and basically said, Yeah, this is just This is just your bog standard world that we're, we're trying to design it so that it has everything in it so we can make base rules for everything. So you don't, you know, you can, you can feel pretty. I mean, like, like, as far as I'm aware, Galarian was never really meant to be a, uh, I mean, I I guess they can flesh it out, but I mean, it's basically got every, it's even got dinosaurs for, for God's sake.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That does have a lot of dinosaurs, which, in a setting with dragons just makes absolutely no sense. But no, they have an actual Tyrannosaurus in the rule book.
0: And Velociraptors and and
1: stuff like that. And like spells to take, like dinosaur form spells.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, so it's just, so if I remember correctly, like it was just, it was just a way to like create like a base rule book, you know, that, that, that was kind of like what, what D and D's base or core rulebook was, you know?
1: No, they they've got a lot more setting specific information in the core rules than uh, than Dungeons and Dragons does. Like I said, they've got specific histories for specific ethnicities, like you know that's that, and it all implies things like geographical locations in a way that Dungeons and Dragons core does not. So I mean, it it is.
0: Yeah, that is it, it does have more to it. That is really weird. I don't remember anything like that because I I I remember reading the Pathfinder core rulebook back when it came out, you know, like going over it because I was kind of a, you know, my play group was was a fan of 3.5 and we all kind of played it. So when Pathfinder came out, you know, I was really excited that they fixed 3.5. That was the big that was the big selling point yeah. that they fixed it. They didn't actually fix it. But Yeah. Yeah.
1: They called, they called it 3.75, didn't they? Yes. Mm.
0: That was that was the goal, was to have like an updated core rulebook for everybody because D&D was going in a completely different direction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 4, four was different and weird, and so we needed more of 3.5.
0: This sounds like the 4.0 of Pathfinder, honestly.
1: Uh, from what I've seen, people are really digging it, and I'm sure that they're completely lying and what they really like is all the social justice crap and they're just signaling about how progressive they are i'm not
2: certain i mean there is a sort of baseline of like kind of stupid not stupid but sort of like like uh very very enthused product consumer normies who are either like nominally leftist or nominally centrist and just sort of go along with whatever and they they're I mean, they're going to be the people that are going to be talking about this because the people that don't like this aren't going to say anything. Like, oh well, Pathfinder stinks. I guess I either go back to D and D or find another game. I'm not necessarily, you know, gonna go around and I don't know.
1: Well, you guys were on that TG thread about Pathfinder. What what were the things that they were saying? Yeah, we were
2: fighting an anti-fascist, <laughs>
0: <laughs> a literal anti, like like a like a yeah,
1: like the sort of
2: person that like you know does heroin in a in a squat in an abandoned ha- warehouse
1: kind of type. <laughs> and yet somehow that's still a more heroic adventure than anything you'll find in Pathfinder 2.
0: Well, honestly, I w- I would I would respect him a little bit more. I
2: mean, Pathfinder 2 is probably the same kind of adventure.
1: No, I mean fighting that guy <laughs> <laughs> was the adventure. It was
0: pretty heroic, honestly. <laughs>
1: Like, I, I, as you guys know, I don't have a 4chan gold account, so I can't post. But what were they saying in that thread that, about Pathfinder?
2: Um, most people were, like, the, the only, the contention that most people have that aren't really, like, in our sphere about the game is, like, well, they they rebalanced casters and marshals, uh, or magic and non-magic classes, and now non-magic classes are much more powerful. And that seems to be the contention between people that actually care about the game. I
0: mean, of course, I mean, wow. that's what they said like like 10 years ago when Pathfinder came out. But it's I can exactly tell you from experience,
2: <laughs> the casters and marshals in Pathfinder have never or were not at that time uh, balanced. Yeah.
0: No, yeah. I, I. Yeah, but I agree. But that's what that's what they were saying. That's what they were yelling at you about. Like, oh, you know, I don't know what you mean about this game. The, you know, things are balanced now. Haven't you played it yet? Yeah.
2: I I mean, but the thing about it is it's inherently never going to be balanced because it's written so many rules. I mean, really I think the I think the real point of our discussion here is that the the conclusion that one has to draw logically from a lot of this is that these games that are based off of D&D um these D20 systems are Not great, and they're not great for a lot of endemic reasons, Uh, one of them being that they are D20 based systems, and the D20 based system, in order to still be a D20 system, has to keep a lot of very clunky mechanics and uh, tropes within it, uh, mechanics and rules wise, that don't make it a, a very good system, and because it has to keep those to keep people satisfied that it's still the D20 system... D and D and Pathfinder will never really undergo the mechanical change required to um, make them into good, viable and fun systems that they could be if they, uh, if they just went out and uh, and were willing to shake up their systems rather radically. But you can't. yeah D and D will never be D and D without the the crit 20, the the d20 for everything, armor class, the six stats that are uh, written in a confusing and bizarre way. Um, it's weird sort of conventions. Yeah,
1: you know, know, dexterity? Like, how agile you are is your dexterity?
2: Yeah, or you know, (laughs) wisdom, intelligence, and, like, wisdom and intelligence, the bifurcation of those two confuses more people than anything else.
1: Yeah. Uh. yeah, I know. I, it's, I don't, I really don't know how to think about it, because on one hand, I hate that this is the face of our hobby, is D20, Dungeons & Dragons, specifically. Uh, because it, it, it teaches it brings the wrong sort of person in, but even those who aren't that kind of like obnoxious uh analog MMO player type who might then become a better role player later on. They down get the road, assimilated winds up into the yes, obnoxious ass- analog MMO player. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they have these hobbies or these these habits ingrained in them through playing and interacting with these rules for so long that it really does change the way you think it's like any other language language forms how your thoughts are able to be communicated or formed so do rule these, systems
2: these games form that's, that's
0: a- really that's a really great point right there
2: the the rules of systems themselves, and we've talked about the D&D mindset, but this applies to Pathfinder. Like, anything we say about D&D, you could basically just extend to Pathfinder, because we talk about them in general terms. Because going through and actually dissecting the rules isn't a worthwhile endeavor, because there's too many of them. I mean, GURPS is GURPS because it's got rules for everything, and that's its, like, gimmick. And, like, you can, you could, like, respect that in theory. Like, some people really like it, but, you know, I'm not going to complain about GURPS, because GURPS is very clear about what it is. GURPS is a intensive simulation esque game with rules for
1: literally everything you can think of. Um and it also tells you select the ones you want to use and ignore the others. Right. D twenty is not exactly
2: sure what it wants to be. Um and, and but the D twenty in a, in the meta context, the meta interaction between the players and the dungeon master in this case is fundamentally adversarial. the The dungeon master handles the dungeon, the enemies. He is a that the players are um. It's it's effectively a six-on-one war game. That the dungeon master is playing as the enemy faction, and the players are playing as the friendly faction. And it's red versus blue. It's not a um. There is not that that is the meta context of these games. They're focused on adversarial relationships, and the uh, the dungeon master is always especially like if you really want to get a sense of this go look at meta media about these games like the the songs people write or like the fan creations people make about the interactions of their dungeon master and the rest of the party it's adversarial and that's because they perceive it to be because the rules encourage this outlook the game itself in a meta
1: context and <laughs> you know what's funny yeah that actually that actually makes me think too a lot of the stories that you'll hear the green text or whatever are not even just like adversarial against the game master but it's like a it's a somebody regaling a tale of how they successfully pulled off being adversarial towards another player
2: yeah it's always adversarial the the green text always like uh destroying like shitty game master epic wrecked owned or it'll be like Ah, look at
1: Undermine our... manage to undermine entire party and sell them out or betray them at the last minute.
2: Or the or the other one you'll the other one you'll classic here is like here, listen to our quirky story of like this one role playing game where everybody played this one class together and we had these quirky adventures that totally happened. Um good wow. creative writing. Uh I doubt the role playing ever happened though.
0: Yeah, and, and 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 to and to kind of rift on that as well uh there there's another there's another green text that i've i've seen quite a bit where it's actually just describing a good role playing session but that probably happened despite the rules not because of them
2: well i oh, i don't yeah. I, I mean i'm not going to talk like a lot about green text for the for the most part i think the dissemination of green text in every context has been cancer and really ruined a lot of the internet but that's a discussion for implying. another podcast in another place. Yeah, okay, implying it. Mm. See? Mm. <laughs>
1: You're so easy to get riled up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God
2: damn it! stop it! Implying no, um, implications. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, the, um... Alright. But the thing about the... To get back to the D&D meta context is that the, the inherent sort of meta narrative of any D&D game is the dungeon master was trying to screw us over and we, we succeeded in defeating his evil plots, right? And there's always, like, all media about it is, like, the DM is attempting to, like, screw the players over or whatever. The, the game is, is functionally built off of the prioristic premise that this is a war game. <laughs> on all levels between the dungeon master and the players and it's like pulling teeth trying to get players to cooperate because they're always convinced you're trying
1: to screw them over
0: or just to yeah. role play
1: oh yeah yeah i mean yeah, because you don't do i get a bonus for role playing do i get extra experience for role playing? no okay well why would i then
2: <laughs> uh i i reward players with good role playing in a uh you will not uh, grant my ire and we will not have an uh adversarial relationship then <laughs> that's uh that's the bit i do i mean and and people there, there is the there is something i did want to con uh talk about uh at some point that this kind of reminded me of are you guys familiar with that fallacy about role-playing versus uh like role-playing with dice that that fallacy given
1: r-o-l-l versus r-o-l-e yeah playing. there's some
2: yeah. like uh st- it's the stormwind fallacy or something i think is what they call it and there's this stormwind. idea. Okay, first
1: of all, first of all, stop clipping your nails.
2: I'm not clipping my nails. I'm putting something up, and it was clicking. Sorry. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs>
0: um, it's not my fault this time. Okay. Well, the, yeah, the stormwind right.
2: fallacy is like some Reddit tier nonsense about how there is no dichotomy between role playing and role playing uh, because that that would intrinsically imply that the two are exclusive, and therefore, because facts and logic they um, because facts and logic and they can't be, therefore, this is a fallacy and wrong. Um, there, there are two very simple heuristic, there's a heuristic way to, uh, to prove this wrong, which is, that's a stereotype, and the stereotype has, must have some form of basis, so either this is an endemic problem, or you, uh, and you're willfully ignoring it to try to own the, uh, own the, the, the fucking tards, or, uh, or this is something that people just made up, which is it? Or, and the other, the other thing there is... Um, if a game does not the uh, the the other the other response to that is you shouldn't expect a game that isn't necessarily built to uh, to you know reward role playing or isn't built to be conducive to it to foster role playing. So the dichotomy would hold up there because D and D and Pathfinder are not built uh, in a in a way yeah. that that um, is meant to force cooperative storytelling. I mean I, I will always sort of harp on this point. Role-playing games are a cooperative role storytelling medium, in, in a sense. And these games, any anything that does not further that end goal, in some sense, mechanically, in the meta sense or otherwise, should probably be considered for discarding. Uh, and that includes cell yeah. phones. If you're playing in the physical world, um, dear God,
0: yeah, put I away mean, your cell phones. Th-
1: yeah. The thing is, like in, on your Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons character sheet, you don't write down anything that serves as a seed for how who your character is beyond what they can do to mechanically interact with the world around them. Yeah. Not why they're doing it, not what they think about doing it, how they feel, not none of that. Like the closest that you get in Dungeons and Dragons is alignment, closest you get in Pathfinder is pronouns.
0: What was that what was that thought experiment that Red Letter Media did uh for one of their reviews? They were they were basically asking people, can you describe characters from this movie, uh, but you can't use like like what they you can't use their dress or what they look like or their weapon or something else. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do a little bit more research. But
1: well, it's it's just asking if people can intuit their motivations right. or emotional context. Right,
2: and if you can't describe your character in that way, you don't have a character. You have a right.
1: uh, you have an MMO right. character.
0: Really. What? A, what? A... Yeah, you
1: have a collection of stats. Yes. What a
0: cool costume! What a cool lightsaber!
1: Yeah, what a cool way you swing that sword!
0: Right.
2: Yeah, but I, yeah. and see, that's the uh, that's the issue. Is okay, it's not a fallacy. Okay, then why is it that whenever anybody um, immediately attempts to describe their character, they describe it as class, race, and whatever gimmick they're playing. Not like a, and it's always like, it's either a mechanical gimmick or some like, haha lol random role-playing gimmick. They never, um, very rarely, and maybe one in ten times you'll see someone describe it as, I'm playing a farmer who is related to his family in this way and is adventuring for this reason, or something like that, in this context. Mm -hmm. It's very rare. So, if this isn't some form of, okay, and if if the Stormwind fallacy therefore is correct because you have that one in ten, then you're just... Uh, you're just doing a Naxult. You are saying your oh. generality is is not okay because I found this, or you, or you're either f- or you're following consequently into the gradient fallacy. The Stormwind fallacy is is like bunk for people that want to defend these games in this this meta context because they like it and they're comfortable. To well, them. no,
1: it's much easier to address the claim of the fallacy though. the 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 claim is that. It is a fallacy to state that you are either role R-O-L-E playing or you are R-O-L-L playing. Well, it's very easy to address that. When you're interacting with the game world, you can either do, th- uh, do so through the lens of acting or through the lens of mechanics. So you can either look up rules, look up stats, roll dice, interpret the random effect of the dice based on your character's statistics to determine effectiveness of outcomes... Or you can be interacting with the world uh, in, a, in a method that is based on character motivations and has an impact on the world that is not necessarily mechanically rewarding, but is realistic and based on what your character would do and why they would do it. And yes, those actions and the way that, you know as part of that acting, can uh, have mechanics in there, in the middle of it, to determine how well it goes... When your character is acting like that, but the importance is that it has a context outside of just do I accomplish thing I want to accomplish. The
2: the other better question is how much time do D and D players uh, consider their class and its mechanical benefits, and uh, and how that meshes with their race and what sort of equipment they choose versus their character's personality, maybe some kind of mythopoetic archetype they're going for or something else. Like what is the time? Uh, what is the time spent there?
1: This isn't. Oh, it's massively imbalanced. Well, it is imbalanced. <laughs>
2: yeah, and it, this sort of like, uh, you know, there's the 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 fallacy of the fallacy. Really, is that we are presenting that this is like a one hundred percent dichotomy. This is like the, um, ah, yes, you criticize uh, the technological industrial society, yet you use a computer. Ah, um, this is sort of that where it's yeah. like, oh yes, but people that have a focus on acting, they roll dice too, and um sometimes people that have a focus on like combat and mechanics they'll uh they'll do a um they'll do a character moment or they'll pick an alignment or you know in theory the 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 entire crux of the fallacy is that in theory someone could min max a character and still have a good personality for that character no one disputes that
0: mm-hmm. um all yeah.
2: we're talking about is things we can see not your uh not your metaphysical theories you can make a fallacy to, or you can make a theory to make this fallacious, but uh, really, all you're doing is theory wanking. I, um,
1: well, it's it, it's a straw man that you're then declaring as a fallacy.
2: Yeah, you you've you've created this straw man as a, what we're saying and observing, and then you declare us fallacious. No, we're not. We're not fallacious. Your game just sucks, and the meta and the um, meta interactions it encourage or encourages suck.
1: It sounds like you're responding to somebody in specific.
2: I'm not responding to somebody in specific. I feel personally offended by this concept.
1: <laughs> um, because. So so do we need a cut and break? Uh, some lines? Can we Should we have some veils here? What, what kind of fence are we talking?
2: Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm like, I, it just personally offends my sensibilities that like, there's this, it, it is the, we are desperate to defend our like, really, really, like, this is, it's so bad that yeah and it, this yellow, is like yellow, just the grasping kettle. like for for a defense <laughs> reasonable defense at it and the lengths to which they'll go to defend it well they'll, they'll institute these fallacies and then people will act like this is some sort of like gotcha logical fallacy thing and it's it's not
1: well it's it is interesting how they get noticeably angry when someone points out that hey, you're not telling a story, you're just mechanically, you're just going through mechanics in this but game. But
2: beyond that, the other thing about this is you can't really accuse someone of having a fallacy in this field because we're all talking anecdotally because there exists no real data on this and no real studies. Um, the, only, the only closest thing I found was there are tallies of what classes are played and what proportion in online games people play but that doesn't really you can't really intuit anything out of that data other than this class is popular and that class is popular and people have attempted to like match that up with what classes are perceived to be more powerful than others
1: so you know well you know what's interesting is uh roll 20 put out recently the uh data based on which uh games people are playing uh on their website and it was overwhelmingly Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, or something specific, or something uh, similar. I think it was like, yeah, here it is: fifty-four percent Dungeons and Dragons, and then seven point eight Pathfinder, uh, two percent Dungeons and Dragons, three point five, which I kind of include all of those in there together. Uh, one percent Starfinder. So, oh god, don't get me started on
2: Starfinder. (laughs) It's just (laughs) disgusting. Pathfinder in space. (laughs)
1: yeah exactly it's all kind of the same thing but yeah you're looking at oh, like you know close to 65 70 percent of gamers are just playing d20 style games and then the next uh highest one was like the the highest non dungeons and dragons game is actually call of cthulhu at three percent
0: yeah i can i can dig
2: that disgusting i hate i hate i hate <laughs> hate hate, hate. Lovecraftian literature, because people just don't do the bit
1: well. What? Uh, no. What? Gi- whoa, whoa, whoa. Giant tentacle beard dad. Yeah. It's disgusting.
2: <laughs> disgusting.
0: <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> Thank I, you. Okay, I hate I, it. I, I highly, I highly disagree. I dude, no, I know no.
1: he, what he's saying. He's talking about how he hates the, the meme Cthulhu crap.
2: Yeah. Like no, the, I, I, I get that. I get I, that. I just don't like Lovecraftian horror because no one writes it. Well, it's, it's like, yeah. uh, I mean, speaking of things that like, you know, aren't written well, we just go back to D and D and Pathfinder, which, you know, if you read anything Gygax ever wrote, you know, you, you almost want to cry and weep at the lost potential which uh, has been certainly lost here in the States and in the English-speaking world, but some uh, some clever people, uh, often somewhere distant and far away, they figured out a way to um, uh, perfect the system of Wisconsinian idealism that Gygax uh, laid down for us back in the 80s.
1: <laughs> well, uh, how about we uh, take a break, and then when we come back, we can talk about Ryutama.
0: Okay. Oh, Ryutama
1: we'll have uh we'll have a little um a little musical interlude here uh and this is kind of going off of uh, Pathfinder having the only reasonable choice for white people being Pegang gang so uh enjoy that and we'll be back right after the break John, I was hoping our musical interlude could just be the guy playing the elk call
2: from Jozin Jabajin, where it just goes.
1: <laughs> no, no. And then
2: we're it just, and then it just goes no. to the next segment. <laughs> no, that no, would be we're hilarious.
1: Doing we're doing the vibrato version of "Girl." Why are you still? Why do you still believe in Jesus? Oh no! <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've never, I've never heard of this. It's, oh, it's a thing. It.
2: No, um, I, wait, I, wait, I'll... leave
1: your, leave your recordings going. Oh, yeah, no, yeah.
2: I, my, mine's still good. Okay. Okay, good. Uh,
1: I have to go to the restroom real bad. Okay. Also, mongoose, put down whatever keys you're jingling. I'm sorry. What the fuck, man?
2: Okay, sorry.
1: What the fuck is wrong with you people? Why- <laughs> You've heard me get on jack so much, and you think it's a good idea to jingle keys while you're Oh my god. I'm sorry. How old are you? Like two? Uh about ten times. Key that... jingling is for infants! <laughs> Why am I... Okay. I'm sorry. I'm going to the restroom. Just throw your fucking keys on the other side of the room! I just did. Why did you have them? I don't know. That's not good enough! Not acceptable! (laughs) You know that's not okay! Why are you doing it?
2: Dude, it's a mistake.
1: Why are you so bent out of shape? Because it's a mistake that keeps happening, over and over again. You guys keep messing up the audio.
0: Why? What did I do to you? <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just you, don't... you sound like you're. Like, why do you still keep jingling your keys? Grr, why do you keep jangle keys? <laughs> go, That's go, go! Take a piss, John. All right. All right. I'll be right back.
2: Okay, so long time ago when when Mongoose was a child in uh in Minecraft. Yeah, in not no, in real life back when I was in the 7th grade. Uh there was this great system of of gaming called the Nintendo DS. Um and the Nintendo DS had a lot of very excellent games on it. Um but Mongoose's favorite game on the Nintendo DS was uh called Dragon Quest 9 Sentinels of the Starry Skies. Um and I I still own that cartridge. Um I haven't played it in a long time. But I I've played that game probably longer than I've played any other single video game. Um I Even Minecraft? Uh yeah, probably Minecraft uh too. Wow. Um, and I loved it very much. I, I've always sort of had a soft spot for that game, and it the the game itself was kind of a. It's a very generic sort of. Well, it wasn't generic, but it was a very kind of. Uh, it was a fantasy story about, and it, it took place in a kind of very generic Japanese styled fantasy setting. Uh, you know, Dragon Quest is that way. Uh, Dragon Quest is like a franchise. Always, uh, I've always kind of liked. Um, very wholesome. Filled with a lot of, uh, you know, just sort of wholesome posting, you know, very much a, uh, old style European, um, you know, old style European sort of fantasy world that, that looks, you know, very, uh, it's, it's reminiscent of, uh, of Europe in a sense, but also has some, some unique sort of Japanese flair to it. And, uh, I don't know, but it, there's just a certain feeling you get when you play a Dragon Quest game or I always got that, you know, you just really couldn't get anywhere else. Um, but, you know, one day, uh, John sends me this, uh, this this game called, uh, Ryutama, and and, and he's like, you should check this out, and I kind of was ignoring it, because, you know, I, I John sends me a lot of links to things that maybe I don't necessarily read because <laughs> I may not have time or I'm just, like, kind of a, uh, negligent
1: basically because you're the worst friend
2: yeah because I because I can be negligent on those sorts of things but he starts posting <laughs> pictures and uh, to to my uh, to my surprise and delight the uh, the art from this game looks exactly like a lot of the art from the old Dragon Quest games and uh, so I decided that I was just gonna take the entire day and I read the entire thing um and uh, it basically was it it, it captured the sort of uh, feeling ...of the old Dragon Quest games for me. It was very much about that. It's very much a... Uh, ...very little... It's it's a fantasy game. And uh, I guess to, to explain things to the audience... ...the central premise of the game... ...is that the party are travelers. Uh, the Game Master is this mystical dragon... ...that's f- like sort of helping them around... ...so that they... Can feed their the ga- stories. The game
1: master has a character.
2: Yeah, the game master has a character, and it's this mystical dragon that anthropomorphizes and follows the players around, and record and their stories kind of get recorded and fed to another dragon that needs to eat stories to to like survive. And the other dragon's like one of the seasons. So like the entire premise of the world is that like travelers have to travel and make stories, and those stories like support these dragons, which makes sure the world keeps existing. So it's just kind of a very wholesome little premise about storytelling. So the entire premise of the game is uh, making interesting stories and everything mechanically in the game is sort of uh, sort of created to that end. Uh, it's a very... One of the things I liked about it, and it struck me very early on, was that everything in the game um, is sort of designed to that express purpose. Uh, the game itself has very little in terms of things that are like oh, it's just here because they thought they needed a rule for this, or oh, it's just here uh, in a dub. we have no idea why it's here. Mo- all of it sort of feeds into that central premise or feeds into something else that feeds into that central premise. So the game holistically feels like it all fits and ties together very well with its central theme, which is something that's, uh, you know, in the world of D&D, Pathfinder, and all this other stuff, it's kind of rare, really.
1: Yeah, and uh, one of the things that I really like about it is that uh things like the character classes are not fighter mage thief you know like the the stuff like that they're actually things like careers that your character had before they went on this adventure and the premise of the game is that well, the,
2: or the their careers that your character has on the
1: adventure well you can't really have a career while you're like on the road but it's well it's a... the game manages that actually <laughs> I mean, sure, you use those skills while you're on the road, but you're not still operating your business or whatever while you're on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're the merchant. Well, yeah. I mean, mer- merchants make may have their career wherever they go. But this is but like a anyway. wholesome merchant. Yeah, that is wolf Think true. Spice and Wolf in the audience. Spice and Dragon. Yeah, th- yeah,
2: this would be the game you'd play Spice and Wolf in. I mean, the mechanics just yep. work very well for that kind of tone, as well.
1: Yeah, so your character, you choose a uh, class, things like uh, Healer, Hunter, and that's like an actual...
2: Here, I've got, I've got all the classes in front of me right now if you want me to read them off.
1: Sure, if you want to.
2: Okay, right, we've got Minstrel, the Merchant, the Hunter, the Healer, the Farmer, the Artisan, um, and the Noble. So you pick one of those, and then you pick your, uh, your type, either Attack, Technical, or Magic. Yeah, And those all give you buffs. So you could, you could in theory, be an artisan who's also a magician, for example.
1: Right, and something you might notice is that none of those was, like, soldier or knight. Now, Nobleman has training in, like, a, uh, a weapon, just because he, you know... But
2: they also have training in etiquette, so they can go a lot of different ways.
1: Right. So the fact is, like, all of these characters can fight, but really the fighting is not the core focus of the game. It's about... How your character kind of survives and thrives on this journey throughout the world, in a way that is really evocative of these like stories of uh, <laughs> as much as you hate the hate the uh, the theme, mongoose the whole uh, hero's journey is really uh, this game is built around uh, around facilitating well, I don't, it.
2: I don't dislike the hero's journey itself. I dislike the use of the hero's journey to seem deep. It's like okay, it exists. Mm. Congratulations, you've completed your baseline literary analysis. But I mean, in this case, it very is clearly like going. It's riffing off those beats, but it's not. It's not explicit about them, so it doesn't seem like it's being trying to be overly pretentious. The game is very unpretentious and very much clear that it's trying to be wholesome and happy.
1: Yeah, unless you're playing uh, one of the specific dragons designed. The I think it's the black dragon is designed to uh, bring about uh, sorrowful tales. It's interesting, right? I don't know why the Japs chose that color. I have no idea. But um, well
2: it's because darkness and sadness and all that stuff like yeah but you know they um yeah no the game itself is very mechanically cohesive uh yeah and what what's, you like to what's interesting the is the core resolution mechanic john
1: uh or? yeah it's it is it is very interesting in how minimalist it is your characters have four stats and those stats are measured in dice just like in savage worlds where they start off low at d4 and you can increase them all the way up to d12 i believe it is and uh, um,
2: in theory, in Savage Worlds, yes. In this game, it's a little difficult to increase your stats. Um, no,
1: I just mean they, as they the dice go, or as the stat goes up, the dice gets larger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, uh, generally, when you make a test, you'll just be combining two of those dice, uh, together, rolling both of them, adding them together, and there'll be a threshold uh, based on the difficulty of the task that you're trying to do. Which is
2: yeah, so very
1: simple, but it's very serviceable.
2: You have you have four stats strength dexterity intelligence and spirit and those pretty much cover the the bases but say if you wanted to have a test to figure out like um, or to, to study a book all night that that test would probably be intelligence and spirit so you'd roll your intelligence die and your spirit die and you'd add them together and compare it to the difficulty
1: yeah um and uh, it's so it is interesting in how little stats there are but how they use them in such an interesting way combined with things like class features and then of course there's a lot of focus on things like gear uh that you have to worry about the condition of your gear because it can break through use uh but then again you can have the uh the craftsman who can repair it as you're using it so it's it is it's seemingly minimalistic but it's interesting how they manage to combine all of the parts together to make a greater complexity than you'd really expect something like this to have
2: but beyond that, you notice that, like, we're talking about gear, like, uh, quality and such, and you'd think, oh, so they're, like, points to the gear? No, they actually manage it, all these things. They have a surprising amount of depth without actually managing a uh, a system that's um exceptionally uh, complicated. So, for example, your gear will break if you're just using it and you, you roll uh, snake eyes on your dice, and, and then it'll break.
1: Well not bre- not break it lowers in condition and and the each piece of gear has a certain amount of uh, of condition or, or status or whatever based on the quality of the gear but yeah you you uh if you roll double ones then you you mark one of those off and a, your item needs repairing and you can if you have an artificer in your party then he can work on it and repair it so it's uh it's it's a little bit of bookkeeping but it's not too much and it all goes to reinforce the theme which is great that's that's the ideal right there that you should really strive for the-
2: the game itself is, is based around a lot of, I guess you would say, bookkeeping, but it's not like really, really intensive bookkeeping. You're not counting your number of arrows. Uh, the game itself provides for you for keeping advantage, keeping track of trail rations. It gives you a handy-dandy sheet with a bunch of little ration and water markers, and you can just check those off and erase your check marks as you need to. You don't have to do a lot of addition and subtraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so the game itself is actually designed to facilitate making play in fact, easier on the players. It's It actually does what D&D would want to do with a lot of its resource management focus and a lot of its sort of um, character classes and all of that. And, and skill focus, it actually sort of makes the... it sort of perfects those systems. It's sort of a... Uh, I think the first time I read it, I, I, I think I described it as this is what D&D could have become, uh, a very, like based on its premises but it, was, it, it retained a lot of its mechanical baggage.
1: Yeah, this really seems like a game that was made by people who liked what D&D was trying to do and then approached how to do that in a way that was not based upon all of the baggage that D&D brought to the table.
2: That is literally what happened. If I may describe to you, the the author of the game says that he is a... um, He says that he was... A, I'll, I'll see if I can find what he wrote about it, but he says that he worked here here we go so he's so here's his little paragraph on how he designed the game well now i think i should introduce myself to people who are just picking this up this guy is Atsuhiro Okada he's, he's Japanese um, i call myself a designer but i also run a company and write for magazines however my real job is being a GM game master i can hear gamers asking how is GMing a job how can you make that work yes you can there's a spot in Tokyo called table talk cafe daydream uh, they they call these table talk games in uh, in Japan not uh, tabletop. For, uh, also,
1: is that not like the best name for an establishment? Table talk daydream, like.
2: <laughs> tabletop cafe daydream. So it's like a maid cafe, yeah. but you go and you play D anD D. That's like the that's like the. the that sounds
1: amazing. I'm not gonna lie. So
2: so he says like where we have a staff that provides GMing services to customers who come in to play RPGs. I have been working there for five years as a GM with the support of my wonderful customers. Actually, the thing that got me thinking up Ryutama in the first place was some distress I was feeling while at work. How can I make GMing more fun? How can I make scenarios easier to write? How can I make a world where the GM and the players can both participate in the fun? How about a rulebook that's easy to read? If I screwed up a scenario, how can I fix it? How can I get more people to experience the fun of being a GM? With those questions in mind, the Ryujin was born, the theme of Dragons and Seasons came into being, and the world that centered around... Creation was hatched from the egg of Ryutama, so the entire premise of Ryutama is like all like sort of encapsulated in there. The mechanics of the game are still, are basically there to emphasize diligence on the part of the game master in making a world, but also is supposed to aid him in doing that and make it make it fun for him. The game is actually uh, actually does it's one of the few games I've found that actually does put thought into how do we make game mastering fun for the game master.
1: Yeah, and really, it yeah, is pretty rare.
2: I- I'd imagine he doesn't actually say mention D and D by name, but I'd imagine a lot of what he's doing is D and D because it's very D and D esque in the way that like the early JRPGs like Dragon Quests were based on D and D. Um, it's very D and D esque, so I'd imagine he he basically was playing D and D. realized it sucked <laughs> and realized he could do it better.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's but at the same time I just love that he came at it from an entirely new perspective rather than trying to make a D&D but with social justice or D&D but with damage reduction instead of armor class. D&D but with more
2: different classes and more feats, which was what yeah. Pathfinder was. I mean, this is not D&D, but it takes the what it it sort of deconstructs D in a sense to, to understand what its core themes are and what what it's trying to tell you about what it, what it's trying to get at right and then it and then it re reconstructs it into something else it, it basically it, if D was like a lego set it, it deconstructs it finds all the cool minifigures and all the cool little pieces and then rebuilds something better out of it in a yeah. sense
1: which is exactly what i used to do with my little military uh uh off-brand uh legos <laughs> Come to yeah. think of it.
2: <laughs> yeah, all kids did that. But, I mean... And, and the game does very much have a sort of youthful sort of essence to it that's not necessarily childish, but it's not necessarily, like, attempting to be mature in a way. It's it's very... It's,
1: it's whimsical.
2: It's a very playful game, yeah. Uh, it's a game that actually feels like a game, like it's supposed to be playful and supposed to be fun. Like, fun is the point here. Uh, and everything is supposed to build towards that theme of of fun and travel and wholesome adventure
1: yep, yeah, it reminds me a lot of uh, Golden sky Stories, which is another uh, game another Japanese game actually that's been translated in English, which is very much focused around the uh, same sort of theme of just wholesome adventures uh this one I believe is... they're
2: actually distributed by the same publisher. if I'm not mistaken
1: yeah, yeah I wouldn't be surprised um, so there, it's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in japan. Uh, japan uh in terms of the table talk games as they call them it's just it's such a shame that like not all of them get translated uh like there's one that uh we found recently Aryan hod or something like that but it's not translated into english at all as far as i can tell
2: well the thing about a a lot of these uh a lot of these japanese games is i think maybe i'm not i'm not sure but um in Japan, if you wanted that more D&D experience, you could go play in JRPG and just go fight things. So the people that would actually <laughs> want to play analog um, analog games would be the sorts that are focused on that sort of in-depth storytelling that maybe you can't necessarily... or cooperative in-depth storytelling that you can't necessarily get with a video game. I mean, that's a yeah. very important element in Ryutama is everything is cooperative and everything is cooperative storytelling and towards that end.
0: Mm. Um, yeah
2: this game really more so than anything else embodies role playing games as a cooperative storytelling medium more so than any other game i've ever i've ever played or ever yeah. seen um and i'm going to be running it irl just to see how it does um with some people yeah, and once, i'm thinking once we have
1: the first uh, little wars con we'll make sure to uh we'll play it there <laughs> it too there as well yeah. little yeah. wars con yeah the, the
2: the the event that no one will be invited to because operational security and which is unfortunate, and also because of the fact that half of our listener base literally lives in Europe. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's, that's, a that's like a thing. That's like a, where are you going to have the con? Iceland, halfway. <laughs> <laughs> we can have it in, uh,
1: once Trump purchases Greenland, we yeah, can we'll have, have it there. In, yeah, we'll have it in Greenland.
2: <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's funny, we have no Icelandic listeners, so it'd almost be better to like meet in like Germany and have everybody else road trip. Or or like meet in somewhere where like airfare into it is cheap in uh, on the North American continent, like Mexico mm. City.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Yeah, no, we're not. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, we're not uh, doing well, that.
0: Uh, we're just gonna have to avoid the ferries. Remember to I-, I can
2: imagine we're gonna get comments like, "Oh, hey, is this actually gonna happen?" And it's like, unfortunately, no. That's that's. Uh, the unfortunate, the unfortunate reality of this is because of like everyone here's involvement in other things and uh, the sort of anonymity required. We don't really have the resources or ability to organize something like that. Now, maybe, maybe in the future, maybe it'll be possible. But for now, in the short term, like several years in the future, thinking, uh, it seems a little bit out of reach.
1: Oh, you're such a Debbie Downer.
0: Debbie Downer. Um, although I would, I would I,
2: I would very much like to meet my listeners, which, um, all there you go, all of you.
1: Yes, all, all three, three of, of you.
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> we got the same number. That's great.
1: Okay, I think uh, that's a high note to end on. <laughs> yeah, I think Yeah,
2: basically, good. I mean, Ryutama's great. You should, yeah. you should buy it. It's only thirty-five dollars from the publisher. Um, it's such can...
1: a nice book. The art is so. Wholesome and good. If, it really if was like a breath else, of fresh really air compared to Pathfinder 2. I
2: the art. I mean, dude. The art I was talking. Of...
1: Why are you talking over me? <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah,
2: go. <laughs> just sorry. Wanted... I, I just love this game. I get excited. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, it's the end of the episode. We can screw around. Why not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go. What were you going to say about the art? Uh, just compared to like immediately after uh looking at all the Pathfinder 2 I I started looking into this and it was just such a breath of fresh air compared to the, all the ugly intentionally seemingly intentionally ugly art in Pathfinder.
0: Well, I have to uh I have to look at getting this.
1: Yeah, I posted a bunch of pictures from it.
2: Yeah, the I mean the uh the art here and the art, you can see. I mean, it's all very much pencil sketches. It's very, it's very evocative of that, like especially the 3D Dragon Quest games. Their art style, it very, it very much feels like that. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it's really, it really is just something that's incredibly different from everything else. But at the same time, really, is at the apex of like, descri- uh, really. If somebody asks me, like, okay, what is a role playing game supposed to be like? I, this would probably be one of the things I'd I'd present to them is the the kind of game that this describes is ideally what you'd want to be playing. If you want the cooperative storytelling should be at the core.
1: Hmm.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I've always I've always wanted to play a game where like everyone was just everyone was just like bakers and you know regular well, people the,
2: the artisan in the rules is basically covers anyone who builds anything so the artisan can be just a chef or a baker
0: yeah, just just a bunch of chefs that go on go on a, a world-spanning uh you know adventure together
1: you could do that i mean this is I the think system to do that
0: with actually
1: yeah and i think that's actually the plot of uh of an anime i've seen but uh no yeah you could do that in this absolutely <laughs> Yeah, it, it's
2: absolutely encouraged. It's uh, it really is, I think, a solid system. Uh, nothing in it seems particularly broken. A lot of the magic in the game isn't like the sort of D and D magic that does everything. It's very specific, and it does very specific, I wouldn't say quirky, but very unique and odd things. So you're gonna mm-hmm. kind of have to. Could I? You know, uh, be very clever could about using. Can I actually using...
1: read out some of the uh, some of the spells which I? Particularly yeah, sure, have. sure. They're just a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. So the, the, the magic system is really cool in that it's themed based on uh, seasons. Seasonal sorcery is a very, uh, very core part of the Seasons
2: scene. play heavy in the game, actually.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. But no, it's got... Uh, <laughs> the names for these things are fantastic, first of all. And uh, they certainly evoke that, that more whims- whimsical adventure feel. So you've got things like luck, luck, luck. Uh, and that is uh, you can grant up to three people that you can touch uh, extremely good luck, which grants them rerolls on any roll. Uh, then things like uh, cure plus yell. You can, uh, ca- and basically that's like a cure, but because you're shouting it, everybody in the area, or, or like anybody uh, within your range is uh, treated by it. It's like, it's so there's like a basically a lay on hands kind of cure at close range. But they made a spell called Cure Plus Yell, and you could just shout at somebody from a distance and cure them (laughs) that way. (laughs)
0: Hey, you! Get better! (laughs) Get (laughs)
2: better! I mean, and some of the spell names are great. Like, uh, there's one that's just titled Kaguya's Ley Lance, Uh, Rose Feeder Scatter.
0: Is is that is that a healing lance? Like like I'm going to come up to you and impale you with a lance? No, it's actually it's actually oh. a
2: bamboo skewer that hurts people.
0: <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so you could torture your prisoners of war to get information from
2: them. Yeah, <laughs> While oh. also healing them. Yes.
1: It it's very very Japanese. Here's a, uh. here's probably the comfiest one in the entire game though. Magical kotatsu. Creates a magical kotatsu, which is basically, like, imagine a table with a tablecloth over it and a heater underneath that everyone sits around and, like, sticks their feet under and it warms, like, your, warms your, so you don't have clammy feet, basically, in the middle of winter. <laughs> and you can summon a magical kotatsu with a set of magical tangerines on the top for everybody to snack on while you're sitting around this table.
2: <laughs> there is a, there is a spell that summons a magical cottage for everybody to sleep in. Yes, that's, oh, that's up Amazing. to seven. Up to seven people, but if more than seven enter it, it disappears. Yes, that's so. all the spell. That's all the spell is. It's just it's a cottage. It's summoned. Like what's in it, nobody knows. <laughs> like it's you just, just make that up. Yeah, it's just comfy, comfy posting. <laughs> it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's comfy. Com- it's, com- it's comfy posting. Yep. Comfy posting the spell. <laughs> yeah, yep. the game. The game very much emphasizes uh, seasons and. Um, and just sort of terrain and weather as well. So it's a very fun little romp that's based around. You got your,
1: you got fun. your survival aspect too. You got uh, camping tests, and you got to eat food, and and uh, you can do foraging to gather up uh, herbs and food and whatnot. So it's the the rules all blend together really nicely. It all feeds back into that core loop in in such a thorough way. It's really well done.
2: Yeah, huh. I, I very rarely will you come across games that are so holistically. Uh, um, so holistically well designed.
1: Yep, yep. So that that gets a, uh, a definite recommend from me.
2: Yeah, that gets a definite. You should you should
0: purchase this book and play it. Yeah. Well, I'll uh, I'll look into getting it.
1: Very good. Reading through it. That and Mongu, start reading the things that I send you more often.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. We're all we're all going to improve in the future. I hope so.
2: all right we'll uh catch you guys when we catch you next and um stay uh stay well everybody and have some good uh good gameplay in between uh in between when we uh when we can all could just kind of sit down and talk and uh i'll be uh i'll be around so everybody take care uh i will want i do want to plug the blog uh little blog on Blogspot, and you can, you can find that. and We post some things there occasionally, just sort of commentaries, reviews, things of that nature. So if you're interested in any of that, you should definitely check that out. Um, if you're listening to this that isn't littlewars.home.blog, you should definitely go there if you really want to see our archives and other things. Because um, we will be posting this up on uh, Exodus Americanus as well. So I'll leave a description, uh, as, as usual, I'll leave a link to the blog in the description for you to find it there. We'll have a a contact info there, all that kind of stuff. So, Uh, With all that out of
1: the way, does anybody else have anything they need to say before we uh, sign off? Uh, Make sure you have the proper ancestry, and that it wasn't (laughs) persecuted by everyone else for no reason at all. And then suddenly, for one day, everyone (laughs) voted the
2: Needleese into power. Everyone voted voted the 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 Shadow God into power. power. (laughs) That's, that's going to be our show, tonight. <laughs>
0: okay. All right.
1: Y'all have uh, a good week. We'll
2: catch you later. All right. We'll, we'll catch y'all later. <laughs> See, ya. See ya. See ya. See ya.
1: Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Little Wars. For more traditional gaming autism, head over to littlewars.home.blog. That's littlewars, all together, no spaces, .home.blog. Have a great week and many epic gamer moments.